Hello, and welcome back to our podcast, The Boss Ravioli Queens. We are Boss Lady Amy, Nicole Ravioli, and Jasmine the Queen. And we are healthcare workers who decided we are going to spill all the ravioli on the ins and outs of working in healthcare. This isn't your usual podcast. If you came here for health and beauty tips, you're going to be disappointed because we are going to get messy. Every other week, we will feature a different topic that dives into the not-so-talked-about taboo and just plain underbelly of health. Care. We will talk about what it's like being a caregiver outside of work and all the struggles that come with it. Just trying to be normal, everyday people. On that note, let's get messy. Warning, this podcast includes profane language, crude humor, mature subjects, and possible talk of bodily fluids. This may not be suitable for listeners under the age of 18. So this episode is called When the Lines Cross. Um, we're going to be talking about traumas that we've developed from work and how resident behavior can affect us, um, how we are supposed to just roll with the punches, basically. Um, sometimes literally. So, yeah, sometimes literally, especially in behavioral. All right, calm down, calm down. <laughs> um, <laughs> and setting boundaries with those residents. Um, it's not mean or abuse and how hard it can be to establish those boundaries because you don't want to seem mean. Mm-hmm. All righty. <laughs> Let's uh, dive into this really depressing episode. Woo! (laughs) So, um, yeah, why don't we start with the hardest part? Setting those boundaries. Ew. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not ew, but still ew, because it's uncomfortable sometimes. It can be, and sometimes the resident can think that you're being really mean sometimes they can even be like you're abusing me and you're like literally how mm-hmm. how am i abusing you for yeah. just setting boundaries believe it or not some residents actually like fall in love with you mm. oh yucky i did talk about that in a Yo, previous episode oh i've had it happen i had a resident one time where he was also like a gay resident or whatever and it was in like more of a behavioral home or whatever and he would try to catch me off guard and like grab my butt or oh. like try to sit on my lap. I think I know you're saying. Sit on your lap? Yeah, I'm dead serious. Oh my god. Did this person always come off in a joking manner? Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. you would like think it was funny. Yeah. But like had to try to shut mm. that down real, real fast. fast. Real quick. It was super awkward and he would always try to catch you by surprise. So I think Sometimes, like, it can be looked at at mean, especially when, you know, you have to be really, really clear in your directions Mm -hmm. when you're like, I need you to stop right Right. now. Absolutely. And sometimes that can be like, wow, like, other people will look at you and be like, oh my god, why are you talking to them that way? And it's, and it's hard too, because like, I basically told him, I'm like, that, that cannot happen. Like, Like, you cannot keep doing this. But I had to be nice about it too, so I'm like, I do care about you as a person that I am taking care of and I'm here to like take care of and make sure you have what you need or whatever right but like I am your your caregiver and somebody who's here to take care of you but like not a type of relationship like that that's not happening I've had to say so many times like we are not friends our only relationship is that I'm your caregiver or staff usually is what I say mm-hmm. I'm staff, staff caregiver, and you staff. are the resident or consumer or you know whatever but I've had to say that many 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 times 
Yep. And sometimes they think it's really mean, but it's not. It's not. And it's almost like um, being a parent in some ways because you have sometimes you have to establish those boundaries with your child too. Right. Also, I, f- I feel like it's also fair to mention that I've been a step parent, but I don't have any kids of my own. I know I touched on that in like a previous episode, but I didn't say that I had been a step parent before. Honestly, there... <clears throat> so you stepped on, used to step on children? Yeah, what's wrong with you? Mm. <laughs> I'm such a bad. <laughs> Their screams gave me joy. <laughs> if only you could have seen her face when she said that. <laughs> Anyways, dark <This> sociopath. <laughs> I've dated enough of them. <laughs> Haven't we all? Okay. Anyways, back on topic. So setting boundaries can seem like you're being kind of a dick, but you're really not being a dick. Yeah. Well, and honestly, I was going to piggyback off of what you had said before we got into this, you know, sociopath conversation. (laughs) (laughs) But, um... That's insulting. Are you body shaming her right now by saying piggyback? (laughs) Oh my god! (laughs) I can't! Amy's short-circuited. <laughs> Jasmine has the ability to do that to me. <laughs> I can literally just look at her and she'll start laughing. Which, well, it depends on what you're doing. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it! What was that? What was that about depending on what he was doing? Because literally, I'm, literally I'm not even doing anything. <laughs> Now that we've established Nicole steps at children. Oh, so we're going back to that to take away from the fact that you laugh at everything. Okay. Okay. I was going to say, sometimes kids are really similar to residents. Legit, though. about kids is usually when they're super annoying they're small so you just <coughs> pick them up <laughs> also they learn a lot of the times if the residents have been like that their whole life They've, they're they not gonna learn. they don't change no. <laughs> not much eventually kids grow out of that sort of thing if they don't have the cognitive disability mm-hmm. but um yeah so that's um boundary setting it is absolutely not me as long as you are not using abusive speech um as long as you're not like actually being a dick and as long as you're not trying to be mean to the resident about it right you know like obviously you can never do something like name calling or whatever Mm -hmm. like that's not okay by any means but it's totally okay and it's within your rights as a caregiver to be like hey i'm your staff and that's that so um going off of what you had said so especially in the like don't be a dick aspect of things like if you're if you're talking to a resident in a stern or like firm tone like how do I even there's a difference between being stern and being an asshole right so if you're just saying hey you need to stop that like that makes me uncomfortable or uh I'm drawing blanks right now I'm so sorry 
But um, something Stop along it. something <laughs> along those lines um, versus like, bro, fuck you. Like, quit it. You can't say that. No, absolutely not. Like, even if you know that resident is like cool with that sort of thing, you still have to be so careful with that type of language. Super careful. Like, honestly, I try my hardest like not to do things like that. But I mean, I do drop the occasional F-bomb. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, the way Jasmine just said that, don't say that to a resident. <laughs> Especially not like that. Yeah, we don't tell residents to uh, fuck off or you whatever. Can, you can turn away from that and mouth the words though. In your brain? Oh, the things we say to residents in our own heads sometimes. <laughs> you know, now that they lifted that, um, the whole mask thing at most places or whatever, I really have to check my face. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> for real. <laughs> Like, I feel like you are the definition, though, of, like, fix your face. <laughs> literally. Literally. Yeah. There is, like, sometimes I really have to, like, I'm, like, biting the inside of my cheeks, and I'm, like... I do Just that. smile and nod, and listen to what they're saying, and... <laughs> and then as soon as I, like, exit, I'm, like, fuck just happened. <laughs> I've had shifts where my, the inside of my cheeks were literally raw by the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Because I had to, like, you learn to do things like that as a caregiver. You know, you play with your fingers, or if you mm-hmm. wear jewelry or whatever, you bite your cheeks, or like... Mm-hmm. Dude, you- lip piercing saved my life. <laughs> <laughs> like, there are certain things you just have to do in order to cope and get through your shift, especially, like, if everyone's having behaviors that day. Like, if it's a full moon. Mm-hmm. And I feel like th- now is the time to point out that even though we're caregivers, we are also normal people with normal human reactions to things. Oh no, Mr. Smith is in the ceiling again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like... Yeah, it's just, we still have the same emotions that y'all have. It doesn't make us any different. It doesn't go away. It's just how you handle the situation. Right. And you have to ask yourself, how would I deal with this situation? Like, if this was, like, a normal-ass thing going on at my house or at the store or whatever, how would I deal with this when I'm, like, out of work versus when I'm at work? Most of the time, you're probably going to be, like, cool, calm, and collected, whatever it is, at work. But then at home, you're going to be freaking the fuck mm, out. Or venting. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's normal. And, you know, it, it absolutely doesn't shut off. And you have to think, like, how would a normal person handle this situation? And then you have to, sometimes you look at your day and you're like, wow, this was literal madness today. Mm. And then, and then you also have to be like, this was also just a normal shift. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, sometimes you have that realization, like, holy crap, the things that I did today, most people do not do. That would not be a normal person problem. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, hi, Moving on. Um, I think this would be a good time to talk about some of the traumas that we develop from working the job that we do, because we don't take this, uh... Or we do take this stuff home with us. We don't get to leave it at work. Nope. Jasmine! (laughs) Do some talking! Honestly, it's mostly, like, (laughs) mentally draining sometimes Mm -hmm. when you, like, um, have to deal with, like, a crazy, crazy day. So, I can get into one of my stories that actually contributed to my PTSD, if y'all would like. 
Sure. So I was working for a specific company, not the one I work for now. Um, very behavioral, was taking care of a resident who regressed into like baby phase, mm-hmm. so wouldn't do anything for themselves. So and did this resident have dementia no. or Alzheimer's? No, um, they were actually only like 25. Oh, okay. Ooh. Yep. They were on a medication that had um, blood clots as a side effect. And if you I don't know, move around... Around, yep. you don't do anything, then I you can know. develop blood clots. I know what you're gonna say. So we actually took this person, well I didn't, um, a couple of my coworkers took them to the the hospital to get checked out. And they did blood work and stuff, and they did not detect anything. And then I come in for my shift. They're really, like, not looking good. And I um, I was working by myself after the 8 p.m. person left. I don't remember if it was a 7 to 7 or an 8 to 8, but they did one long shift and two short shifts, basically. Mm-hmm. So... this person wasn't looking good still wasn't doing anything for themselves like when i tell you not anything wouldn't even get up to go to the bathroom so we literally like got advice from their mom and they told us that until this person snaps out of it like don't do anything for them minus obviously keeping them clean so we changed them and like wouldn't even walk to the bathroom had to carry them to the bathroom it was it was something anyways um because they were on that medication and i was still pretty new to caregiving at the time. I had only been doing it for like two years. So my coworker helped me like give them their meds and then my coworker left and I go in to check on this person because they spit their meds out and then like sounded like they aspirated on it almost. Um, aspirating is a fancy term for choking and fluid gets stuck in your lungs mm-hmm. basically. Um, so... I went in to check on the resident and like shallow breathing. I later found out they had what was called the death rattle. Mm, yeah. Um, mm. So the death rattle is just very raspy. Like um, it, it just sounds like you have a bunch of shit in your lungs, basically. Mm. It's kind of grody, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I called my boss. My boss told me to get a baseline started for vitals. So I had to do blood pressure, temperature, um, pulse and respirations. And it wasn't good. None of it was good. So I, to get a baseline for vitals started, you have to take them every 10 minutes. We didn't even have an O2 monitor at that time, so I couldn't. Yeah. Also, if, if something is like severely, severely wrong, take the vitals more than once. Like Mm -hmm. if. Well, getting a baseline started, you have to take them every 10 minutes for the first hour. Right. Mm -hmm. But I'm just saying like, if you take a blood pressure, for example, and it's really, really bad, take take it it again again immediately. Mm -hmm. Which I did. And it was the same. Right. (laughs) So I called my boss back and I was like, no, like this person really, really really needs to go in like there is something really wrong and I even like put it on speaker and I let my boss hear the way that this person was breathing and my boss was like just keep on with the baseline is there anybody at the other house next door left or are they down to one staff now too and I was like no everybody is one staff it's like nine o'clock at night you dumb bitch (laughs) (laughs) I did not say that to her but man if I could like if there was one person honestly if you would have went back to that moment you probably would have called her a dumb bitch I really would have. Mm-hmm. Because, like, what's to follow after all there's of this? A lot of, there's a lot of past health care jobs that I've had that, like, mm-hmm. I would have, like, literally torn into them. Yeah. Knowing and I what wish, I know now. I wish that I had the backbone that I have now mm-hmm. back then. Because, right. whew, 
Okay, like so back I to the story, because it's already oh. long, y'all. Sorry. Um, because I've had to, like, stop and explain and all that stuff. So anyways, um, I go in to do the next vitals, the next set of vitals for baseline, and, like... The electronic blood pressure cuff just wasn't like it wasn't picking anything up. And I'm like, this is really bad. This is really, really bad. This is really bad. So I tried to get like um, a manual pulse by putting my two fingers on her wrist, like in the right area. I think it's called a radial pulse. Yep. Um, yeah, that's so that's exactly what I right. attempted to do. And it um, it was very faint. And she was actually jaundice in color. So... I ended up um, calling 911 because she had stopped breathing. Let's explain what jaundice is. Jaundice is yellowing of the skin. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Continue, pal. <laughs> um, so anyways, she was jaundice and like kind of started to turn cold already. So, dude, it's fine. <laughs> we can have some background noise. It's all right. Jasmine was getting water, everybody. <laughs> now they know. Um, they know that they we know hydrate. A, now they know I'm a thirsty bitch. <laughs> Continue. You sure? <laughs> so, um, I don't even remember where I was at. Jaundice, blah, blah, blah. Get out of my ear. <laughs> she, <laughs> I'm so sorry. This is a very sad story. She had jaundice. And then... She stopped breathing. That's yeah, right. That's she where I was at. Breathing. So I called 911. Uh, I was already doing CPR at the point... Or I started doing CPR as soon as I hit the call button. So um, thank God I the had dust. the training for that. It's not that. It's staying alive. I know. Another one bites the dust. Okay. <laughs> um, you guys... Uh, <laughs> fuck! <laughs> okay. You did CPR. I'm doing CPR. Doing CPR. Called 911. 911 yep. operator. I gave her the like info and everything. Still doing CPR, bawling my eyes out, trying to like hold it together, but can't hold it together. But still doing CPR because even in like time, especially in times of crisis, even if I'm emotional, I still have my head on straight. So <clears throat> I did CPR on her until the paramedics got there and I actually hung up on 911 because I forgot you weren't supposed to. So that was great. That was wonderful. Um, the paramedics get there, they take over, call my boss, tell her that I had to call the ambulance because she had stopped breathing, such and such, so forth. She gets taken by ambulance. I call my boss. I just said that, I'm so sorry. Um, and my boss was like, hey, I know you just went through something really traumatic but can you please go get a report of medical visit filled out? So what a report of medical visit is, it's literally having the doctor sign off stating um, like what the resident was seen for and that kind of thing. Yep. And then you take it back to the house and put it in the resident's file. So that happened. And then I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Basically, because why not traumatize myself more? So, night shift gets there, I tell him, yo, I gotta go up to the ER, make sure this resident is okay, and then I'm going home. <laughs> so I went up to the ER, I waited about an hour, hour and a half, the doctor comes and gets me, brings me back into the family consultation room, so I was like, fuck, this really, like, this is not good, I, but I wasn't expecting the news that I got, I was expecting, like, brain lost oxygen from not breathing on her own for so long, coma. Yeah. Like, that's the worst that I was expecting. Well, I get back there. The doctor was like, 
asking me a couple questions. He asked me how active she was. And I was like, well, over, you know, the past few weeks, not very because she does this thing where she regresses into baby phase and doesn't do anything for herself. And... Was that baseline for her? Um, no. Baseline, she was actually very active. Like, she was up doing stuff. Um, she would play card games. Like, it was... It really, like, caught us off guard when all of it started happening. And it wasn't even... I don't even think it was listed in her BSP as one of her behaviors. Okay. So that's why we ended up having to call her mom to figure everything out. Oh, I see. Yeah. So... Um, the doctor's like, well, that explains a lot. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And he said that she had two pulmonary embolisms, which is two blood clots that go into your lungs and they were not able to save her. So I found out right then and there that she was dead. The doctor was very crass about it. Treated me like I was a piece of shit caregiver because it's my fault that she didn't do anything for herself. It's not like we didn't try, you know? And then um, asked me if I wanted to see her. I wanted to get a little closure, so I was like, sure. (laughs) I go in the room. She's not um, cleaned up at all. There was still blood spatter in places in the room. She was still intubated. Like, it was nuts. So I'm, like, bawling my eyes out. I call my boss at the time, and I was like, she's fucking dead. And she was like, well, what do you mean? And I said, what do you think I mean? She's fucking dead. And that's how I said it. And then I had to wait for the coroner to get there, which took another two hours. And then the coroner asked me if I had been drinking because my eyes were glossy from crying. So that added more, like, trauma to the boat. And then one of my parents came and picked me up, and the other one drove my car home. So that's that. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's wild. So in case y'all were wondering where my PTSD came from, minus my abusive ex, um, there's that. <laughs> yeah, there's a that's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> I know. Well, and and you know there was so many different traumas that you went through just from that because like you had to you know first off call nine one one, which mm-hmm. is scary in itself. And you that had was to my do CPR. First time performing CPR. You had to you know get the news that she was dead. Mm-hmm. You had to see her body the way that it it was which mm-hmm. was completely inappropriate mm-hmm. you had to be the one to call your manager Dude, you were didn't really care she yeah, didn't <laughs> you were accused of being under some kind of influence from crying mm-hmm. like there's so many different traumas that you went through just from that so like each individual thing was its own trauma i can't even Literally. imagine <laughs> like going through all of that within just a, a few hours and then on top of that You were probably very sleep deprived because you had been at work all day and then you Mm -hmm. had to stay at the hospital even Mm -hmm. longer. Literally, I went into work at 3 p.m. and I don't think I got home until 4 in the morning. It was a long time. And you probably didn't sleep that night. Mostly, I do get the traumatic situations because, I mean, there's like lots of times that mostly for me, it's like hours when I do certain things or like somebody's coding or something like that or whatever. For me, the traumatic situation is like, am I doing enough? Right. Like, Am I doing enough? What can I do? Like, and then, then it turns out into, like, I feel like this this was probably one of the most traumatic ones when I worked in surgery. Um, Guy came out, like, nurses took care of him after his surgery, obviously, and then I'm there to, like, you know, supply what they need, make sure they have what they need. Um, Obviously, I'm helping with, like, checking vitals and stuff or whatever, making sure he's functioning okay with the nurses. And then, obviously, um, they have the CNAs usually take them up to the floor because they usually stay in the hospital for a day or so. Right. Um, This man was, like, maybe 50 years old. So not even, like, super old. 
not, you know, he was talking just fine, talking the whole way, riding up to his room and everything. Um, dropped him off at his room, got back down to my unit or whatever, get, get like, um, a cold blue thing. It was the guy that I just took up there. Mm. He started coding, and what actually happened was... Um, as soon as he got up there, he let the nurses up there know that he, like, had some sort of chest pain or whatever, um, and they were kind of weirded out by it, which he didn't have when he was down by us, and then what ended up happening is there was nothing they could do for him because he literally, he literally threw a blood clot into his lungs and died. Oh, oh my god. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm so scared of blood clots. And it, yeah, it was really, really traumatic. And could you imagine, like, telling this the the family that Mm-mm. like her husband's dead, her their dad is dead, like no, no. Well, after no. after a like a sur- like a routine surgery too, like something that's like easy. <laughs> it's one mm. of those things that like. No matter what, like Jasmine said before, like, you're always going to be asking, like, mm-hmm. what could I have done better? Mm-hmm. And, like, the thing is, is that you you can't, you couldn't have done anything. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, my first resident death, I was very new to caregiving. I had, was, like, newly 18. My first resident death ever, I blamed myself for years. I really, truly thought I killed him. Mm. <laughs> like, I really didn't have anything to do with it. Like, it wasn't my fault and. Mm-hmm. And those things are very, very difficult, and you have to realize, like, it's it's not your fault. It's super hard to let go of, but therapy helped with that for me. <laughs> well, actually, I will say, it's not your fault, like, 95% of the time. Of course, you always have those shitty caregivers that do contribute to a resident's death, but when I say that, that is not who I'm talking about. Right. I'm talking about the majority of us who are normal-ass people. Yeah, right. who we try to keep them cared for, do what needs to be done, and try to keep them monitored and stuff. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it it's always a little bit traumatic, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You always take a little piece of that with you. Mm-hmm. You know? Especially when you, you do form, like, a bond with these people. Yeah. So, like, when you find out that they're no longer around, it, it does hurt. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. The... F- like, it, the image to this day is still burned in my mind. Mm-hmm. Like, having to pull the sheet over her. Mm-hmm. Like, I will never forget mm-hmm. that. That is something that I will always see yeah, for the rest clean, of my life. Or cleaning them up and zipping them up into that body bag. Yep. I have gotten fortunate enough where I either haven't been working that unit or it hasn't been on my shift, but we knew they were going to pass soon. Mm-hmm. So, I've gotten fortunate enough to never have to clean up a dead body or zip them up. Which I am thankful for. I'm so grateful for that. So I'm kind of in the same boat. I have not been fortunate enough where I have found people and I had to, you know, notify families or whatever. But um, I usually it was on a different shift that they would get cleaned up because I worked knock shift for two years. And so most of the time when I was working there, it was a place for, like, older folks, so Mm. that's where I was doing the majority of, like, (laughs) finding somebody dead. Like, I I haven't had to discover anybody, like, you know, who had passed away since. Um, But because I was on knock shift, a lot of the times 
they would instruct us to wait, don't touch anything, you know, until hospice gets there or the coroner gets there. Yep. So, like, I never had to clean up somebody or put them into a body bag, but I've definitely discovered people. I've definitely been instructed to pull the sheet over their face. Um, yeah, that's that's the difference because you guys are the ones that haven't worked hospital settings. Correct. That's, the only, that's mm. one of the few things I have not done. I've done my fair share of residential only like eight years. Mm. <laughs> but hospital settings, no, I have not done that. Uh, mental hospital. But I, again, I never had anybody die there. So, I mean, I we would have been required to do the cleanup and stuff. Right, right. But I never had to deal with that because... Because most of them were like on the younger side. Right. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, I guess. It, um, it depends on what unit. Yeah. <clears throat> See, I didn't really do mental hospital as much. I mean, I dealt with, like, behaviors and, like, some obviously mental stuff, but yeah. haven't, like, officially done anything that was specifically mental. Right. Right. I think one of the saddest, like, things that has happened that is, like, very memorable for me is, like, I really, like, I have this very, very vivid memory of one of my ladies um, when I was working in that old folks home Mm -hmm. um she had very like serious dementia and i remember she like came down the hallway in the middle of the night it was like three o'clock in the morning and we had like this mirror over like the community like drinking fountain you told me this story i think Uh it's still like oh it breaks my heart and um This lady came and she, like, wanted a drink of water and then she started, like, looking in the mirror and she was like, who is that old lady? And I was like, that's you. And she was like, no, it's not. I'm 16. And I was like, no, honey, that's you. And she was like, no, it's not. I'm 16. And I was like, okay, fine, you're 16, whatever. I didn't argue with her. And then she was, like, still looking in the mirror and, like, poking at her face, and she was, like, getting so confused and so upset, Mm. and she was screaming her head off, and it was, like, 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'm like, you got to go to bed. Like, you're going to wake people up. And it it was just super heartbreaking, and, like, she didn't recognize herself at all. And she wasn't, you know, listening to me. She also was getting mad that I was agreeing with her. Like, it, that was, like, a real wake-up call for me, I guess. Because, like, that's when I really, like, figured out how sad and serious dementia is. Mm-hmm. It is. And it's hard to redirect that. It's so hard to redirect that. Like, I remember going home that morning after my shift, and I just, like, cried myself to sleep. Like, I, it was just so upsetting. And even though it wasn't that big of a thing, it was only a couple minutes. But it's the it was sad a lot. truth that, like, to them you realize how real it is. Right. Like, she was literally, like, looking in the mirror and it was, like, fake or something. Mm-hmm. You know? Don't tear up now. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's still hard for me to think about because, like, it was so sad. And, like, she was such a wonderful lady. And, like, her son always used to tell us, like, on the rare occasions that I would see him, because, again, I worked knock shift, her son would always tell us, like, I wish you knew mom before 
like the dementia and like she he would always tell us like you would have loved her if you knew her then and like he would he would i think he felt bad it would have made it harder right for sure harder like knowing them what they were before well everything and then seeing them progress into that would have been heartbreaking he knew like how bad her behaviors were Mm -hmm. and so like he he knew that she gave us a really hard time. And, of course, she didn't mean to, but he would always, like, apologize, and he would always tell us, like, you know, she, you would have loved her before. Like, you would have thought she was amazing. And I would always tell him, like, she's, she's still amazing. Yeah. amazing. Like, she's they just... Are. They still right. are. She's just... She, she's not herself anymore, and she can't help that. It's not her fault that she has dementia. Mm-mm. Like, I had ladies super confused or whatever, and I love the crap out of her. She's super, 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 super frustrating. Would not want to listen to anything or whatever. You'd be um, trying to walk her to her room, trying to get her to dinner, anything or whatever. I just like, would not want to do it, and she'd give you so much sass. So much sass. But it was... But she was always super, super funny, and you could be, like, standing in front of her, and you'd be just like hey, over here or whatever, and she'd be just like, where are you? <laughs> she would look the completely opposite direction of where you were standing. You could be like waving your arms flailing in front of her, and she would just not. It was so funny. No, man. But it's like crazy how confused they can get, but they're like still wonderful people, and then they'll tell, they'll, they still remember a lot, and will tell you um, a lot of different memories throughout their life. Yeah, um, doesn't sure always will. make complete sense, but like if you like really listen carefully, you can like piece together kind of like kind of how their life was. Yeah, and um, she actually used to be um, a teacher for like I think fourth grade. So oh, yeah, cool. so she was. She's a very fun lady. Yeah, it reminds me of one of the ladies I used to take care of. She was um, an obstetrics nurse, so she delivered, like, over 100 babies. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. And, like, that was her favorite thing, too. She would always have this little baby doll that she would wheel around with. <laughs> Never oh, see her without yeah. it. I think one of the There's really... a lot of them that have the fixation with baby dolls. Oh, uh, yes. Well, I think... I mean, I think it's because that generation, like, a lot of them are mothers, obviously. Yeah. But I think the really sad part about, like, reminiscing is how quickly it can go from, like, them telling this really beautiful story to, like, they can get confused in an instant. And mm-hmm. then before you know it, you're, like, de-escalating this person. Mm-hmm. And you're, like... How did we get here? Like, one right. minute you were talking about a great memory, and now I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, what do I do? <laughs> it's because their brain turns into Swiss cheese. <laughs> Unfortunately. So, um, we don't really have much else to talk about. We only had one more thing that we wanted to touch on briefly, and then I think we're going to wrap it up. But um, it's important to note how, like, what's expected of caregivers and how we are supposed to roll with the punches. Like, you could literally be you know, de-escalating something super fucking crazy. And on the outside, like, you have to be completely calm mm-hmm. and you have to, you know, not waver at all. And you are, like, literally calling the shots that could, like, mm-hmm. change the course of someone's life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to really hold it together. And then sometimes it makes it even harder when you have somebody else that may be joining you... 
newly to caregiving now that you have, like, the background experience. And when they see something happen, they're, like, starting to freak out about it. And you have to, like, reel that in real quick. You have to be, like, be, like, no, you need to stay calm. Like, reel it in. Like, don't, don't show them that you're freaked out about this because then they're going to freak out and it's going to be ten times worse for both of us. And it's, it's hard. It is hard to keep that face on sometimes, but, like, you have to be strong for the rest of your clients. Like, they don't know what's going on. Yeah. And so it can it takes a lot of mental capacity to just keep rolling with it, even though on the inside you're terrified. Right. You know? Like, even something as simple as, like, say you had a resident fall, um, and they fell in a really bad spot, really bad position, busted their head open, there's blood everywhere... Like, it looks like a murder scene, basically. And, like, I mean, they're, like, still alert and oriented, kind of looking around, and they're scared already because they're on the floor, they see the blood and everything, but you have to be calm and be like, it's not that bad, don't worry about it. Right, yeah. Like, and then you basically just have to, like, try to keep them treated as much as possible while getting, like, paramedics or whatever there. Like, find the source mm-hmm. of the bleeding first. Yeah. Like, you have to tell all these it's things like in that. your head. I, like, you have to tell mm-hmm. yourself in your head, okay, I but need you to find the source of the bleeding. I can't have them move. I have to right. take vitals, such and such. But you like. can't go in there and be just like, oh, oh my, my God. God. And, like, right. be freaking out about it because then they're going to panic. Right. Because they're already scared. I literally had a lady that did this, busted her head open, and she was already scared because she fell and she peed on the floor. Oh. Yeah. So, literally, went in there, like, reassuring as possible, or whatever, and be like, it's okay, we'll get you up, asking her the normal questions of, like, where the pain is and everything or whatever, um, got the phone calls called management, called, um, um... Guardian? Called Guardian, and... Paramedics? Yeah, we called the Guardian first to see what they wanted to do, because it's technically their call and I'm like we explain to them normally because it's like a head injury type of thing and stuff normally we send them up um get them checked out make sure she don't have any concussion blah 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 and um in this case it was actually shocking that the guardian did not want to send her up so then that's when I called back my manager and I'd be like guardian didn't want to send her up but um I really think she should. She's got a pretty big gash in the back back of her head and stuff. Oh. And she's pretty traumatized right now. I feel like she really, really needs to get checked out. So, uh, the um, luckily my manager said, send her up. I will deal with the family leader. Thank God. Because she actually went up there and she had 10 stitches in the back of her head Oof-da. when she came back. That's what I did. Like, if the situation was so emergent, Mm -hmm. I didn't give two shits about what the Guardian was saying. I would literally call them as the paramedics were on their way and be like, hey, your person's being sent out because this happened. Deal with it. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the thing, too. Like, I feel like some Guardians, um, because with trauma to your head or whatever it's obviously very serious Mm -hmm. but also like a small little cut on your forehead can cause the biggest amount of blood ever Mm -hmm. like head head wounds are crazy like 
That and they do bleed crazy. They do. Most companies have a policy where if a person falls and they visibly hit their head, they have to be sent out. Yep. Because if you're bleeding because you hit your head, there's so many things that could be wrong with you. Yep. After that. Yeah, oh, we you had have a... like you could have like brain damage, brain bleeds, yep. concussions. concussions. I so much. I took care of a guy. It wasn't his head. It was his hip. But I took care of a guy who was his own guardian, and he fell, and he refused to go out, and the pain got so bad that the next day he didn't even go to the ER. He had one of the staff take him to the walk-in. Of course. And then we found out that he had a broken hip. He was immediately taken to the hospital, given a referral to a nursing home. He went to a rehabilitation place. He didn't come back to the facility for, like, six weeks. He had to have several, like, corrective surgeries. And then on top of that, he also ended up getting um, declared, like, not incapacitated, but he, like, qualified for a guardian, basically, because he was too vulnerable to make his own decisions. Yeah, incompetent, not incapacitated. That's, That's the word. You're fine. Incompetent. Different things. Anyway, so, like, a fall like that, I mean, it can be that serious, you know? Like, just that simple, are you going to go to the hospital, yes or no, can literally change your entire life. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that's everything we had for this episode, so. I think so, too. Yeah. Bye. 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 This has been the Boss Ravioli Queens podcast with your hosts, Boss Lady Amy, Nicole Ravioli, and Jasmine the Queen. Thank you so much for spilling your ravioli with us. Don't worry, we'll serve you more next time. Until next time, go wash your ass!